Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. We have two interviews on today's show. Coming up in about 15 minutes will be Kimberly Friedmutter, and she is the author of a book called Subconscious Power, Use Your Own Inner Mind to Create the Life You've Always Wanted. There was some meditation involved in her methods, but not entirely. I shared with her in the interview, which you will hear, is that I'm not a great person to conduct meditation personally. I think you will find it very interesting. But first, Stu Elway is going to reveal the results of the latest Crosscut Elway poll. How are Washington voters coping with the pandemic? What are voter attitudes on a proposed state capital gains tax? What about police reform? and climate change initiatives. Now, I spoke with Stu prior to the introduction of the billionaire's tax now being considered in the state legislature. As it is drafted right now, 97% of the tax would be paid by four people, according to Danny Westneat's column in the Seattle Times. I guessed two correctly right off the bat, and I'm sure you will too, usual suspects, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. Who are the other two? You'll have to wait till the end of the show to find out. Again, my name is Paul Casey. Give me a call at 206-459-5536. If you want to talk about anything as it relates to the show or anything else, that's 206-459-5536. Back with Stu Elway in just a moment. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. Stu Elway is my guest, and Stu is the founder of the Elway Poll, and uh, he is one of the most respected pollsters in the country, and Stu has been on the Voices of Experience show quite a bit over the last several years when we discuss what's on the minds of Washington voters, and uh, a cross-cut Elway Poll has just been released, so let's just get right to it. Let's just start with the pandemic. I see that um, you found that uh, 65% of the people knew somebody who had the pandemic uh, in the last year or so, 19% worked, um, had their hours cut, 11% were furloughed, and 9% had a loss of income. My immediate reaction to that is I'm surprised it wasn't even more impactful. What do you think? 23% of our respondents said they really had had no impact. So... You know, three quarters of the people have, have been impacted this in, in some way. Over half the people know someone personally who has contracted the virus. It's pretty broad. And also, I think what you came up with, too, is that about it's split between the number of people who feel this that this shutdown has gone on long enough and those who say it hasn't, that we're going to trust a scientist. And once they say it's time to come out and play again, they'll come out at that point. That was the the closest uh, divide in our survey. It was split dramatically 
between Republicans and Democrats. 94% of the Republicans in our survey said it's time to open up the economy, and 78% of the Democrats say we need to keep the restrictions on. So, yeah, I mean, again, I guess from everything we are experiencing now, we've experienced for not just the last four years, for a pretty long period of time, it's not surprising, but it is pretty stark that you have such a difference because it's a life and death situation. Well, and, and, and it goes beyond the policy. Uh, in the survey, 64% of, uh, of the Democrats say they always wear a mask, and 60% of Republicans say they wear one only when they're required to do so by the place they're going into, like a store or their office. And... and uh, Six out of ten Democrats say that they would get they're going to get the vaccination as soon as they possibly can. And while three out of four Republicans say they're not or they're going to wait and see. That was another 38 percent. So so even on the behavior, not just the policy, there are partisan differences in how this is viewed and how, you know, I as a person uh, am responding to it and behaving in this context. Remember that guy from the 1960s? I don't remember his name, but he wanted to divide the state into two parts, west yeah. and east. And I think one was called Cascadia on the east side. Maybe it's time to bring that uh, proposal back. Well, yeah. yeah, well, I think it's still alive. I mean, uh, in, in, you know, in some uh, homes and, and areas of the state and groups, what we have now, the state is, you know, we've talked a lot about over the decades about the Cascade Curtain and that uh, east of the Cascades, it's all Republican and west of the Cascades, it's all Democrat. And it's really um, evolved from that now to uh, more of a urban-rural divide. And it's even more than that. It's urban-suburban is... Uh, is on one side, and then rural and small town um, has different views about these things. The Republicans ceded Seattle to the Democrats, and the Democrats ceded eastern Washington to uh, the Republicans, and then they fought over the suburbs. Well, the suburbs in King County, at least now, are all blue. And, and this uh, really plays out pretty much throughout the country as well. Yeah, well, you look at Georgia. I mean, they just elected in in Georgia a black preacher and a uh, 33-year-old Jewish guy as uh, their senators in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it was largely a suburban vote that changed. And and Joe Biden carried it first time in almost a generation. Let's move on to, uh, you had questions about taxation and what, people would be willing to pay for. Well, it kind of looks to me, they don't want to pay for it, but they'd be willing to consider having businesses pay for this through a payroll tax of $7 million or more. Companies make $7 million or more. This, it's really pretty close, if not identical, to the payroll tax that was passed in Seattle. Uh, and then you had something on the poll about uh, the majority favoring reducing carbon emissions, but... When it came to paying for it, the gas pump and went from a majority down to 47% would be willing right. to pay for the uh, carbon tax. Um, it looks kind of like an uphill 
battle for most of these proposals, which are um, in the governor's budget. Police reform. Seventy yeah. percent support decertifying a problem policeman so he or she cannot jump to another community. Right. That's just a lot of common sense there. I don't even know why we're even debating that, but there's certain well, things yeah, that you know, you know you just scratch your head and go, Really? Yeah. Well, it's aimed at um, a police officer gets uh, fired in one city for misconduct or something like that. And then it goes, he or she can go down the road and get hired in another city. And the other one on police reform, same thing. Uh, 62% are in favor of banning the use of neck restraints and chokeholds by police. Well, the thing that surprises me here is that there'd be 30%, roughly one in three people, who um, does not support decertifying a police officer kicked out of a department because they obviously did something really wrong and, and, you know, stepped over the line. But they could go next door or next county and, and get a job. And that's what jumps out at me there, why one-third of the people would think that's okay. Yeah, and here again... Um, there were strong partisan differences on that question. The the Democrats supported those like 90%, and majority of Republicans were opposed. I don't even think they think about what the question is if they say that. Oh, it's police? No, I'm all for police or something. Is that well, some I of think, this? I, yeah, I think there's, there is some of that. <clears throat> you either, you know, you're, you're backing the police as opposed to this particular policy. I think there's probably some of that um, factored in, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I admit myself, sometimes I'll knee-jerk the other way myself. Um, like, for example, you have something about the banning the neck restraints and neck hold. I'm not there on the street, and somebody's coming at me who's 260 pounds and is going to cause me physical harm, that if I have a way to stop that, that I wouldn't do it. So to me, it's like things like that. We get sometimes maybe too much into the weeds, but you know, the no neck hold that we've seen on, on video and, 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 you know, tweets and things like that, they're doing it and they're ganging up on someone. I don't know what I'm going with here, but I'm just saying I can do the same thing. On the well, opposite yeah, way. you're right. I mean, you're, you're not the officer being in that situation, but, That's what I'm I, saying. Thank but you. clearly the, the, um, the videos we've all seen over the last few years uh, have brought that home to people and, and had an effect. It's one thing to just sit in the room and talk about chokehold. It's another thing to watch somebody die on the street right. with, a, with a knee on his neck. And I think that really galvanized public opinion. As it should have. But uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just on. Unconscionable. It's just yeah. still haunting, and I think that's really what uh, came about in that, and it always will be. One final question would be: You found that uh, majority of people believe that 2021 will be better than 2020. Yes, uh, they did. Around 80 percent of Democrats said things would be better in all four of those areas. Among Republicans. Between 66 and 90 percent said things would be worse. Now, the only exception was uh, for your own household, where only 50 percent of Republicans thought things were going to get worse for their own household in your head. So there's, there's even a partisan difference about that. 
But in this case, it was especially stark. The difference between Republicans and Democrats on these questions was as large as I've ever seen it. There's one other thing that I, I just wanted to, we, we asked about, do you, how confident are you that your ballot was accurately counted? 55% said they were very confident, and another 17% said they were reasonably confident. So 72% overall said they were confident that their ballots were reasonably counted, were accurately counted. 26% either had their doubts or didn't believe that it uh, that it was counted accurately. I haven't seen this, Stu, but let me guess that this was a partisan well, answer both ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're, you're catching on to the pattern here. Um, 61% of Republicans in this poll had no confidence that their 2020 ballot was fairly and accurately counted. 61%. Now, this is a state that has voted by mail for 15 years and whose elections have been administered by a Republican secretary of state since 1964. And yet 60% of Republicans still don't have their doubts, at least that their, that their ballot was accurately counted. Now that's one of those things that you just scratch your head and go, how could this happen? But this is the kind of the state literally that we're in right now in the state of Washington and certainly throughout the country. So my thanks to Stu Elway for spending time with us today on Voices of Experience. Kimberly Friedmutter is my guest, and she is author of a book called Subconscious Power, Use Your Inner Mind to Create the Life You've Always Wanted. She is a master hypnotherapist and life management expert who shares six essential lessons to help us move forward and get the most out of, hopefully a post-COVID changing world sooner than later. We do talk about the six essential lessons. She is also starting a podcast in February, and we'll talk about that at the end of this interview. My first question to Kimberly, what is a hypnotherapist? Hypnotherapy deals with the subconscious part of the mind, where psychotherapy deals with the conscious part of the mind. So we're double-minded. Consciousness runs your day. It's the things you think. It's cognitive behavioral therapy um, for psychotherapy. Hypnosis, on the other hand, and hypnotherapy, hypnotic techniques, hypnotic trance, all of that is the sub, meaning below the layer of consciousness. So your subconscious is where your habits live. It's where your emotions are derived from. It's where your feelings and beliefs about things. So if I said your consciousness is you, Paul Casey, your subconsciousness is you who you really are, like the you inside of you. What's the difference between zoning in and zoning out? Well, that's a great question because zoning out is where information can come into you. You're not blocking anything. It's, it's much like daydreaming. We all fall daydreamt, you know, when we're not really supposed to be. And, you know, the teacher taps on the board, get back in the room, Johnny, you know, where are you? What are you thinking about? And actually, that's our magic because I'm sure you'd probably agree that you can think of certain things that would be great for your life and you have a limited capacity of, of your reach. Whereas when you 
you daydream, all kinds of wild, fantastic things could happen to you. And then those, you know, spur inspiration, ideas, aspirations, all of those things that you might not have tangible access to, much like a child that doesn't have a lot of opportunity could daydream of a different life for themselves and therefore start to set that in action. So zoning out is simply letting things come through, not keeping anything at bay. Meditation, on the other hand, would be a a perfect example of zoning in, where you're really focusing on your breath, you're keeping thoughts at bay, and you're focusing on being there, on the isness and the nowness. Whereas what I prefer is the zoning out method, where you allow things to swirl, you allow things to come. That's where you hear people talk about their aha moments, and all of a sudden they say, oh my gosh, I had the greatest epiphany, I had the greatest thought, what if this could happen? Inventors are known for zoning out. You know, you can't keep an inventor's attention for long, <laughs> if you've known any, and personally, you know, they're always, their thoughts are out there. And they need to be out there because that's where their brilliance is. Meditation, I have tried it. I've been unsuccessful, as I said, doing it. Do you have any suggestions that for people like me, I don't know if like I have an ADD or something, but I have a hard time focusing in for more than like five minutes when I'm meditating seems like an hour. Right. And so chances are you're a better zone outer. That's what I would say. If you really wanted to really work that muscle, it's a practice in motion. It really is what everyone struggles with. I am not an expert on meditation. I prefer the zoning out method just because I love all of those thoughts swirling. I love what's happening, you know, because also your subconscious is a problem solver. Like its main prime directive is your survival. So let's just say you have an issue, a problem, some kind of circumstance that you can't really cognitively find your way around. That answer will come to you. There's a great little exercise you can do if you have little issues, and we all do when they come up, is take a pad and paper or pad and pen and put it by your bedside and just jot down whatever that question is, that quandary, that problem, whatever solution you you feel like you need to an answer or some kind of an issue. Write that down and your mind will problem solve while you sleep. How did you get interested in this field? I got interested in it because I had stage fright and I had a radio show, a talk radio show in Los Angeles, which they called the Howard Stern Station, 97.1 KLSX FM. And uh, we had a huge audience, and it was um, Howard Stern, Tom Likas, you know, all the big boys in radio. And I felt intimidated, and I felt very nervous. And so I went to a hypnotist to see, you know, I had heard that that could help. And it was so interesting because I thought it would just do that. I thought it would just help. And so when I went to go, you know, do the show on air, I couldn't find the fear. And then I started looking for it. (laughs) Because you know how you have, like, an old friend that you don't particularly love, but it's the friend you know. And I was like, oh, well, where is it? You know, is it when I actually am going to start the show? Is it going to be, you know, midtime? Is it going to be if a guest doesn't show? When is the time going to be that I'm going to feel that fear? And I couldn't find it for the life of me. And so I thought, wow, this like worked with the least amount of effort. You know, I'm a passive least resistance girl. And the whole book is based on the path of least resistance. I don't want anybody to have to work at it. I want you just to utilize what you have and your great gifts. But what happened was I couldn't find that fear anywhere. And so I thought, wow, if it can work for this, can it work for that? And so on and so forth. And then I really wanted to know, because just being science minded, I really wanted to know what was behind that machine. What was what was making that happen? So I started studying brain science and it just became this one, you know, big thing. And then I thought, this is for me. You also said some things about the pandemic. And I would say not the 
it's a positive thing, spin on it, basically. But there are things that have occurred that maybe people are more self-reflective now and more open to things. Could you talk about that a bit? Sure. What it did is it forced us into our flexibility. You know, I always say that perspective is really your truth. So however you feel or or see something or whatever angle you're coming at it to and from is really what builds your life. You know, they all say, oh, it's not really what happens to you. It's how you handle it. It's part of that. And so testing our flexibility, testing our metal in how flexible we can be. If you imagine, and this is a good visual for you, if you imagine kelp and kelp and how flexible it is in the ocean as it's anchored down at the base of the floor of the ocean and it comes up and it starts to move the way the tide moves, right? It's as opposed to being that old bitter oak, that old dry, stuck, brittle oak. And it's the one that, you know, the wind blows a little bit and the branch snaps, right? So you see those two major differences. We had to start to use our flexibility. We had to start to pivot. When you pivot and when you flex, you survive. You know, you've heard the saying, you know, that that doesn't change dies, right? Sure. So it's it's very much feeds into that. This pandemic forced us into our flexibility on everything. And if you didn't flex, you were miserable. If you didn't, you know, start staying around, you know, family and less around strangers and people outside your bubble, you might have gotten sick. There's all of these things that happened that forced our flexibility. And that was the greatest gift. If you can look for a gift in these terrible, terrible times, that would be it. This, I believe, will be our starter pandemic. I don't think it's going to be the last. You know, obviously, we've had them before, nothing to this magnitude. But this is a lesson in life that really, really step into what you knew worked for you and what you saw worked for you and then start to, you know, go away and move further away from those things that didn't. Because I don't believe this is the end. I think that, you know, here it is. And, you know, we managed and some of us did. Some of us managed better than others and worse than others. But to find those glimpses and those glimmers of the sun. You you spoke about six essential lessons to help you move forward. Could you elaborate on that? And so the first one is to come into accountability. That's to really accept where you are, you know, warts and all. I do this, I do that. These are my shortcomings. It's really being honest with yourself. And that's really the, the cornerstone of almost any growth pattern. The second principle is tapping into your subconscious power. I teach you how to do this super, super quick. You know how, and this is the best, like, um, quick way to explain it. You know how when you know you're right about something, you know, and you just go, I knew it, I knew it, I knew that was going to happen, and you already had this, like, predetermination of how it was going to go? That's that part of it. So it's just growing that, that aspect of yourself. Principle three is do you move toward or away? And the reason this is important is rarely do we think of our trajectory. Rarely do we think of our point in our position, our point of view. So for example, if you go from place to place to place and you find yourself unhappy, are you going to the place or are you moving away from the place you just were? A lot of people don't really think about their own trajectory and what what motivates them. You know, like a moneymaker, let's just use that. That's always a hot topic, especially with the lottery being like it was (laughs) last week. And so so let's just say that you, you want to make money because you don't want to be, you know, impoverished, right? So you want to move away from poverty. So that's your driver rather than you want to make money because, you know, you want to be philanthropic or you want to do this and that and the other. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Most people don't think about principle four is judging myself and thy neighbor. One thing we've done is we've gotten very lax on our ecology. 
Move toward people who are helpful for you. Move toward people who make you feel good. Move toward people who are in alignment with your goals and your ideas and all of these things. We've forgotten that just because you know someone doesn't mean you need to really hang out with them a lot. And I think we've seen a lot of shifts during COVID where people, you know, all of a sudden we're like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. Now I have to pick and choose. Who do I pick and who do I choose? It's kind of interesting when you, you know, self-discover that way. Principle five is give to get. You know, this is a touchy a touchy one because people feel like, oh, I have to give, 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 give. Mothers and fathers are in particular in this group where you just feel like you're giving out and then you get resentful. Nature and the universe works on reciprocity. And so I, I really lay out for you how to be reciprocal and how to be symbiotic in those relationships. Super helpful. And then principle six is to play big. You don't do me a favor, Paul, if you play small. I don't do you a favor if I play small. All boats rise in high tide, super easy. But how do we rise when it's low tide, like what we've experienced? Let's muster up and be the biggest we can be. And it doesn't mean posturing. It means trajectory. It means having this idea for yourself, dreaming big, letting that set the motion. Like your GPS, you put in the best destination you could possibly go, and you hit start. And just take one week and follow your impulses. Just take a week, and then if you think of it like all of a sudden you have this moment, do that thing. Follow those impulses and then report back on what kind of a week you had. That's one I'm going to do. And I'm going to do some of these others. But nonetheless, I can see that because sometimes I do have these impulses. I want to go in this direction, but something talks me out of it. But you're just saying, go do that. And if we had longer time, I'd talk about that's kind of how I quit smoking years ago. That type of principle. Fantastic. So uh, anything else? Well, I have a podcast coming out Please called do. Kimberly and the Queen, and it's with my dear friend Jackie Siegel, who's known as the Queen of Versailles, if you happen to catch that really compelling documentary about she and her husband. And so we have a lot of really interesting guests. It's a national podcast, of course, but it's Vegas-centric, and so we have a lot of uh, Las Vegas superstars as guests and whatnot. And that'll start in February, and it'll be available on all the podcast platforms. That's Kimberly Friedmutter, and she is the author of a book, again, called Subconscious Power, Use Your Inner Mind to Create the Life You've Always Wanted. And by the way, just a quick comment. I am not paid any promotional fees for guests or for books that they may have written on this show. I just try to think of what may be interesting to me, and hopefully then that will be of interest to you. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to pollster Stu Elway and author and soon-to-be podcast co-host Kimberly Friedmutter for both of them sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. At the beginning of the show, I revealed that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates would be two of the four people in the state of Washington who would bear the brunt of the proposed billionaire's tax. Actually, four people would pay 97% of the tax. I said I would let you know who the two other people are at the end of the show. Well, we're here. One is Steve Ballmer, and the other is Mackenzie Scott, a philanthropist and former wife of Jeff Bezos. What do you think? Is this a good thing for the state to do? Or will Amazon pull the plug in Washington and move elsewhere? We've seen that they know how to play hardball, and they will. But is this fair? Why don't you give a call to the Voices of Experience hotline and let us know your thoughts. You can call 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
Quote of the week. Do not dwell on the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. My name is Paul Casey, and along with producer Benny Mathers, thanks for listening. And finally, just a reminder, experience is our best teacher.